Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest is one half of the Geek Syndicate. He is the creator of the Fallen Heroes books and graphic novel series. He's also the international man of mystery known only as the Nuge. It's a huge book club welcome to Barry Nugent. Barry, welcome to the book club. Thanks, Eamon. Thanks for having me. I mean, uh, great intro. Makes me sound a lot more important than I actually am. Well, you've got more stuff to talk about when we get to guest projects, actually, since I, I wrote that intro for you. But yeah, um, but before we do that and before we get to today's books, um, Barry, take us back to your first experiences with comics and how you discovered 2000 AD in particular. Well, my first experience with comics really was um, Marvel. Um, I used to get, so I'm the youngest out of uh, four and um, all boys, and I used to get my brother my brothers hand me down comics which were all marvel it was a massive marvel i don't think i even started looking at dc comics until i was probably in my 30s um right uh, but the um the first comics that i actually got that were my own comics were um, one was eagle and the other one was 2000 ad and i had a strange relationship with 2000 ad because sort of i mean i loved it my problem was is we didn't have any even though i lived in london there were no comic shops close to where i lived so i was getting my comics from the local news agents so it meant that there were times where i was missing issues yeah because um, they just they, they just weren't getting them in so um so for me it was like i, I love 2000d but it was a lot of lot of the, lot of the stories i didn't get the whole run of that particular story that makes sense yeah yeah, I mean, it was you know, always a problem hunting issues, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. To the point of when I first read Apocalypse War, I was actually reading Apocalypse War when it when it first came out because it, it dropped sort of, what, 1981, 82? Yeah, that's right, um, yeah. Yeah, and I would have been, I started secondary school 81, so I was kind of like 11, 12 when it was out. Um, and I remember that I didn't get... I never read any of the Block Mania storyline. It would be something we'll, we'll come onto when we sort of get into it. But actually, the first time I read the Block Mania storyline was when you sent me the comic. Oh, right. Okay. This is your first time with it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Apocalypse War, I've read a sort of couple of times and stuff. But first time around, I missed some of the issues of the Apocalypse War, again, because of the whole news agents thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of want to get into it because it's weird reading it as a kid and reading it as someone like less of a kid over 50 very very different experiences and just before we get to the apocalypse war what what's your um reading habits now what do you pick up now on a sort of weekly or monthly basis barry um i mean i've been in a bit of a slump comment wise mainly because i've been sometimes when i tend to be when i'm working on the project as i'm in a moment like a book or whatever um sometimes i end up not reading comics for ages and then I, I get a title and I'd sort of dive back into it. But at the moment, what I tend to do now is a lot of indies really. Not indies, not Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, a lot of indie a lot of independent comics is what I read now. Occasionally I read a, a DC or Marvel, but it's 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 more rare now. It tends to be if someone's put me onto a particular one of the big two um rather than any of the ongoing titles because I I, I just can't keep up with them. Um, but I love I love you know Dark Horse IDW Image, but also I just I just love finding random um, indie titles to just sort of get my teeth into. And obviously because of doing GS, um, we do get sent a lot of stuff to sort of review, and they do tend to be a lot of kind of stuff that's on the fringes, which is where I live. Really, I love that stuff. Cool. And I just, just you mentioned just to go back to the eighties. You mentioned the New Eagle in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You're another fan of that comic as well. Um, I guess presumably another fan is sort of like missing that there's not really any reprint material of that stuff. No. And the the thing with the Eagle that I I always remember. I know I was reading some of the Wikipedia stuff on the Apocalypse War, and I hadn't realised that it was. Um, it was John Wagner had been involved doing Doom Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
that Doom Lord comic used to terrify me because it wasn't a comic. It was like it was like photo. It was like a photo comic, wasn't it? It was a photo strip first. Yeah, later yeah. on it became a, a drawn comic. But yeah, they started yes, it, it did, out as yeah. a photo strip. Yeah. Yeah, but when it was the photo strip, I used to have nightmares about that guy. He's terrify me. He was pretty creepy with the mask and everything, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great stuff. Um, so you've mentioned it already, Barry. Tell us, what's the book we're covering on the book club for this episode? So the book we are covering on this month's uh, book club is The Apocalypse War. Uh, and in particular, we are looking at Judge Dredd Essentials, the most recent release of The Apocalypse War. Uh, as you say, we're in 1981-1982, Progs 236 to 270, although they gave Carlos a week off at 268, I believe. Uh, <laughs> written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. In this book that we've got in front of us, we've got art by... Ron Smith, Mick McMahon, Steve Dillon, Brian Bolland, and Carlos Escara, with letters by Tom Frame and Steve Potter. This is, of course, a recolored, or, or rather, a coloured version by Charlie Kirchhoff and the original editor, of course, Steve McManus. So, Barry, tell us. You you said this was something that, with the vagaries of newspaper or news agent supplies, you were reading at the time, the Apocalypse War. Yes. Can you remember what you thought of it at the time, as a you know, as a young reader reading this uh, book about nuclear destruction? Um, I remember just the scope of it. You know, I, I I just remember thinking how epic it was. And back then, um, and it's a bit of a plug for him. Back then, the only other person that I knew who was reading two thousand AD was was Dave. Right. Um, if people who are listening don't know, Dave is. My co-host is also my sort of best friend. They use the term best friend loosely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'd be, he speaks very highly of you as well. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I just used to remember coming in and sort of sitting with Dave and sort of going through it and just sort of comparing notes, really. Um, and it's weird. I didn't get the scale of destruction in the same way reading as a kid as I did reading it as an adult. I think a lot of it reading as a kid, I was like, this is cool. This is the coolest thing ever. And reading as an adult, I was like, it's still cool, but I just kept thinking, this is awful. This is like, this is awful. Like millions and millions of people are just, are just getting wiped out left, right and center. People are getting thrown in ditches and um, and being executed for being collaborators, collaborators, you know. And these are our heroes. These are the people that were were following in in front of a better word, cheering on, who do some horrendous things. I'm not saying that you know the the Sovs don't do horrendous things as well. I mean, in some ways, you could argue they're kind of both as bad as each other when it when it kicks off, you know. But yeah, just just the scale of it, and then. But I think, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think, you know, reading it with the Block Mania story, which I, I didn't read as a kid because I couldn't get hold of it. When I came in to it, the, I'm pretty sure I got it from the first issue of the Apocalypse War. Right. Um, mainly because of the title, because they had that sort of two-page spread in there. And I just thought, I love that title. I've got to get this. And... I missed. I even missed some of those issues when I was reading it, and then it was kind of years later I was able to read the whole thing properly. But I didn't miss enough of it to sort of miss the story. If that makes sense, right? So we have we have covered the Apocalypse War on the podcast before with Jim Moon about four years ago. But of course, the release of the Essential series gives us a chance to revisit it with you, Barry. But also. It's. I think it's the first sort of collection I've had that's got the Block Mania story in it first as a sort of context. And, of course, as you just said, this is you coming across the Block Mania story for the first time. So if we look at that, what did you make of that story, of this sort of like seemingly meaningless conflict that turns out to have a sort of um, much darker, uh, even darker tone to it or out- outcome to it? I love. I mean, I loved it because what was really because a lot of the Judge Dredd stories are quite are just really out there anyway. Um, and do you know what? What I'll say is, if my first take when I was reading it was like one of the blocks is called Dan Tanner. Yes. And 
Dan Tanner was a he was a detective from a show, and I can't remember what it was. A show called Vegas. I can't remember. Oh yeah, I yes, I. Um, I remember I the actor, but I can't remember his name. Was it was it Robert Ulrich? Yeah, I think that was him, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I used to love that show. And I thought he was the coolest guy ever. So the first time I saw the Dan Tanner block, I, it just propelled me back. And so much of reading this again took me back to um, being a kid in being a kid growing up in the eighties. And what I loved about this story, and especially leading up to the apocalypse war, is for most of it, um, there's no link really to the apocalypse. You, do you know what I mean? You, you don't you don't get a sense that there's any grand plan going on. You know, you just yeah. think something's kicked. To begin with, you just think people are just kicking off just cause. Then, obviously, it becomes this bigger thing of block mania. Then they find out, obviously, that, you know, the citizens are being dosed and stuff. But even when you get into all of that, you still think, oh, it's just going to be some some madman or someone who's got some some crazy agenda that we don't really know. You don't, and in some ways, that is the case, but the agenda is so vast that you just don't, I didn't see it. Trying to trying to look at it with new eyes, I didn't see it coming. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, until obviously when they apprehend is it Orko? Is the assassin? Is the Orlock? Orlock. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm getting confused with He-Man now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's when he comes into it, and obviously, and there's a, and there's a great set piece. I think when Judge Dredd is sort of chasing him down and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he does his movement, and we kind of he kind of hits him with both both legs in the back of his head and the guy's still alive. I'm like, you should be dead. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you get that sort of great sort of panel of like something like the Earth and all of these missiles and it's kind of like next is the Apocalypse War. And that's when you get the sense of this is literally just the opening gambit of this sort of vast scheme from um, the Solves, as they're called. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was great. And to me... I certainly think going forward, I mean, now that this is out, it, it, this is this is the case that it's going forward, but I don't think you can read The Apocalypse War without reading Block Mania because it sets it up so beautifully. It does, doesn't it? And I put in our notes about John Wagner and Alan Grant's writing and that maybe um, people might point me at other examples, but maybe this was the first time they sort of misdirected us and made us mm. think it was just a, another sort of Mega City One crazies story. Um, but actually, it was building up to something huge uh, that would literally reduce, you know, reduce the city by half um, and change, probably change the history of Dread forever. I mean, it's a fantastic bit of writing just, you know, to start with nonsense, but then slowly ramp up the tension, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's, like I said, there's, there's, it's, it would be easy to... Um, and other stories, you know, other, other comics, films, TV, it would be easy to drop breadcrumbs for your reader. But I think if they'd done that, you they might have cottoned on a bit quicker. Yeah. Um, and it just hits you. as a, It's just a gut punch when you get to the end and you realise it's just all part of this. Like, I mean, the plan, I mean, just for a second, the plan that the the Soviets come up with is, is it's just great because they've thought of everything. Yes. <laughs> It is. I mean, it's an amazing plan to poison the water of Mega City One, drive them all crazy, and fighting each other, and soften them up for the attack that's coming. Um, yeah, um, psyops, uh, but it's actually with a chemical, a chemical drug as well. Yeah. So, if we stick with the writing and move into the Apocalypse War for a moment, you've mentioned already the impact of it. That there is some um, grim stuff in the six-month mm. story that follows Blockmania, um, you know, with Dredd and his uh, judges, as you say, executing collaborators in ditches, but also doing a sort of mercy killing of people who've been irradiated. Those sequences yeah. stuck with me um, every time I read it. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's got so much in it, and it just rattles along for six months, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's no, like... I think as well, you know, obviously when I was reading this first time around, I was getting it weekly. So, you know, and I wasn't always reading it weekly. Sometimes I was saving them up and reading a couple of them. But reading it all in one go, like you say, it's it's like being caught in a stranglehold. You, it, it just doesn't let up. 
you know, the scale of like devastation and stuff. And I think the, and I, I think that's one of the things that stuck in my mind reading it as a kid, because the whole collaborators bit, I didn't, I didn't remember. The bit I did remember is when you've got the survivors walking out of Mega City One and Dread comes to see them. I can't remember if they walk out and it's snowing and then he tells them it's not snow. Yeah. You know, have you noticed that it's not settling or whatever it is? And you realise it's because it's the radiation and stuff like that. And then obviously you get the mercy kill. Um, as a kid, that properly, that wasn't the, that wasn't the big thing that really messed me up. Um, but that haunted me, that bit of it. And reading it as a, you know, fully, fully grown adult, um, I was thinking, this is for kids. I know. You know? It's this astonishing. Is um, there's no way on earth, if my mum had known what I was reading, she would have burnt, she would have taken them out and burned them in the back garden. There's no way she'd have let me go <laughs> reading that. Um, and I think sometimes when we talk about like comics now and you know DC Marvel and being you know that they're violent and they're too adult for kids and stuff like that. And there's a you know there's there's arguments for and against that sort of thing. And even 2018 now does arguments are going on. But when you look at this for its time. You know, the likes of me and you were reading these when we were 11 and 12, and you've literally got like, you know, 100 million people just getting vaporized. It is. I mean, that's absolutely astonishing for a kids' comic in the 80s, dealing with nuclear uh, holocaust, dealing with fallout, and as you say, mercy killings and so on. And I mean, there's even that poor, happy little planet in a uh, parallel oh, God, yeah. dimension. <laughs> <That's> just like- <laughs> Who just get obliterated when the Sovs, I don't know what they do, teleport or tra- somehow transport the um, the the uh, Mega City One's missiles to that planet. Yeah. Um, it's astonishing that they actually put this in the comic in the 80s. And the other thing about it that really got me with the writing is that there's so many moments in the Apocalypse War that have just stuck down the years. Because um, you've got the Dread Dead bit in it in here. You've got the Apocalypse Squad when Dread recruits, you know, puts a team yeah. together. You've got that famous panel that, of course, it's almost building up to when the Soviets plead with him not to destroy their city and he says, request denied. And I don't know if you know, but they're still telling stories in the prog now about the sort of consequences of that. Um, and, you know, various um, Sov factors that have taken revenge on Dread for that over the years. And yet it it just, you know, it just the amount of stuff that uh, Wagner and Grant squeeze into it and it just barrels along, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think I remember, this is the one I... I can remember so well. Um, in, in many ways, out of so many of the comics that I've read over the years, I remember going into the newsagents. It was, and it's the issue where um, the cover is pretty much all blue, and you've got Dred's badge, and then you've got the bullet hole, um, and you've got like trickle about. I remember picking up a comic, um, and again, it's that thing sometimes of, you know. It's like I say, it's a, it's a bit off topic, but it's like I say this to people about the the, the the old Star Wars films and saying about Empire Strikes Back and saying, I went to see Empire Strikes Back with Dave or whatever when it came out. Um, so we had no idea they were going to do, you know, Darth was going to be Luke's dad. No idea. You go in, you get hit with that gut punch and then you got to wait two years or however long it was for Return of the Jedi to come back. You couldn't just go, oh, I'll just, I'm on Amazon. I'll just flip to the next film. Um, and this was a similar thing because I remember when you know Dread turns a gun on himself and shoots himself. I've then got to wait a week to find out what happens, and that that was a long week. And that famous, as you say, Dread Dead cover, um, yeah, you know, which is so simple, but yeah, it's one of the most memorable covers in the history of 2000 AD, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's right up there with the Dark Judges cover from Bolland as just like, you know, instantly recognisable. You know exactly what's going on, don't you? And also as well, I think not just the fact that he turns the gun on himself, I think it's the bit where before when he goes to the studio and the way they've done the chief judge as well, I mean, this is a heroic figure, you know, and he's been brainwashed. It's, it's, It's not his fault, you know, 
and in some ways it goes to the ruthlessness of the judges, you know, in terms of how they see just he rocks up there and he's kind of like, You're guilty of treason and I'm here to deliver the sentence, you know. And the fact that he gets that little bit of himself back enough to sort of go, What am I doing? But it's too late. You know, it's 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 kind of quite heartbreaking, do you know what I mean? And yeah, and, and and then him turning the gun on himself for me, sort of thinking, well, how 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 the heck is he going to get out of it? And even though he gets out of it, it's, it's it's by the skin. So much of this is by the skin of skin of their teeth. So much of it, um, even all the, the the time they take to show the judges doing all the guerrilla tactics around the city and the stuff that they're doing, like they take out the weather controls um, station just so they can mess up the weather and stuff. So you've got this whole great shot of. Um, the, the, the sky's on fire, you know, and then obviously it turns to snow and stuff like that. And you've just got this, these desperate factions of judges just fighting across the city. And I think that the desperation, I think, comes across really well. And it would have been easier to, it would have been easy to skip those bits, those story, you know, to sort of keep the story moving. But actually you need to have that because it does go to show just how bad things have gotten. Yeah, it's, I, I say, you know, every time I read it, I just think it's astonishing how much they put in there and got in there and how many big moments, as you say, where Dredd and his team get by by the skin of their teeth in a way. Yeah. Um, let me turn you to the artwork, Barry, because we've got an embarrassment of riches in this collection with Blockmania <laughs> and Apocalypse War, haven't we? I mean, yeah. um, the artists in this collection are just stunning. Yeah, I mean, and what's great reading it, again was and it's been a while i mean to be fair it's been a while since i've read 2000 ad it's made me sort of think i need to sort that out i need to sort my life out sort out my life choices <laughs> um because even though obviously all of this talent is poured into judge dread i've I, I keep going oh yeah i love that guy because he used to do robo hunter i love that guy because he used to do slain and stuff like that why why you know why am I not still reading these? Or why have I not come, gone back? I suppose is a better term. And the block mania stuff, the art on that is lovely. I have to say. Yes. Um, McMahon, Smith, Dylan, and then Bolland to finish up with uh, that confrontation between Dredd and Orlock. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah. It's just stunning stuff, isn't it? I mean, however, the, what I think for me I love is Carlos's artwork in the Apocalypse War. It 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 fits, and by that I mean, and it's not. I'm not being critical of the Blockmania stuff, but because of the style of Carlos's work, the it, the grittiness comes across more. Do you get what I mean? It's you know absolutely. I, I, I don't think you would get that in the same way if you have this. If you had the same artists from Blockmania working on the Apocalypse War. And this is Carlos coming back to the character he co-created for the first time mm. um, and hitting the ground running. And as you say, it's that down and dirty, gritty on the streets. They're, they're almost literally fighting for every junction, um, it seems. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it just starts with Dred's uniform in, in tatters. And it just seems to carry on like that throughout, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, it's King Carlos in his pomp, uh, returning to the character. And um, is he the standout then in this collection for you still? Is it still Carlos? It's still, it's still for me. And I think when I was reading it, like I said, I was loving the block mania. And then when I turned the page and you had that, that two-page spread um, by Carlos, it was kind of like I'd come home, you know? Yeah. Um, and... I love those sort of those sort of spreads where it's that almost collage of pain and destruction that's coming your way, um, and the, the way they kind of the way he slowly deconstructs Dread, where he, his his clothing gets more and more tattered as it goes on, and you don't even see where it happens. It it just it's just the wear and tear of what's going on. It, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's is 
magnus magnus opus <laughs> it is it's just fantastic and he, you know i always say this whenever we discuss the apocalypse war he did six months of weekly comics and i think he did four covers in there as well um yeah. for this story you know he was just the fact that he could do five pages of this every week and yet it is still some of the most stunning stuff and it just tells the story his storytelling is you know cinematic and yeah. um well we just love carlos we can't say enough about him can we yeah and it's amazing it's... in a book that contains mcmahon smith dylan yeah. uh and bolland sequentials by brian bolland and we're still it's still king carlos ruling it again isn't it yeah yeah like especially the um you know some of these set pieces and just some of the battles and stuff like that I think that's the word you use. Cinematic is is a perfect way to describe it. Really, you could just, it it feels like every page is just just movement, you know. And when I talked to Jim Moon about this, he mentioned that some of the double page opening spreads look like movie posters because they've got yeah. they tell you you know there's going to be rad sweepers, there's going to be these killer robots, there's going to be this and that. It, it looks like a movie poster, isn't it, or or a VHS yeah. box, you know. And and I think as well it's the fact they take the time sometimes to just to focus in on a couple of judges, you know. Like I remember when the, they start the invasion and there's the two judges that are kind of on their bikes and whatever, and they they both get taken out, and it, it shows. And I think the last one of them gets picked up um, and electrocuted by one of the robots, um, and it's just and they, and they just use the death of these two judges to introduce, <laughs> you know, to introduce the the sort of judges um tactics and their new weapons and stuff like that and it's just those little things you know um or like one of my favorite uh sort of sections in it is judge um is it solster oh solster yes taking yeah. out the junction yeah yeah dantana junction um just that that sequence again you could see that on a big screen yeah it was yeah, and him just giving those quotes about justice and for justice for this for that, you know, as he's falling, um, yeah, for freedom for justice for Mega City One, yeah, <laughs> as he takes it with the stub guns, he takes out the <laughs> junction and it's down, yeah. And now the reason we're talking about it, Barry, is because there's a new edition which we've got uh, the Judge Dread Essentials they're putting out which are coloured. And so this was coloured originally by Charlie Kirchhoff for an IDW hardback version a few years ago, which actually, strangely enough, I've got as well for some reason. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, what did you make? I mean, you know, you, you, you can remember the black and white back in the 80s with the two-page colour centre spread that Dread would get. What did you make of the colouring um, on this story? Did it, you know, does it make you enjoy it more? Um, I don't think, I don't think it makes me enjoy it more because in some ways, you know, the storytelling's the storytelling. But I thought the colours were amazing, especially on the Block Mania. I, I thought the colours really did lift, you know, lift off the page. But... I think for me, I still liked Carlos's work in black and white. Right. Um, just because of that, um, maybe I'm just a sucker for Grim and Dower. Uh, <laughs> but on saying that, I would definitely recommend if people have only read it in black and white or they're a little bit hesitant um, about reading stuff in black and white to go and pick this up in colour because they've, cause they've done a cracking job with the colours on this. Because you wouldn't, I had to keep reminding myself when I was reading it that when I first read this, this was in black and white. You know, yeah. Because sometimes I've I've read other comics where they've coloured them, and I'm like, why have you done? Because it, and it's kind of spoiled the comic because the colours haven't really they've kind of taken something away rather than enhancing it. Um, whereas actually, I don't think that's the case here. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're probably, I think most 2080 purists will agree with you that they prefer the original black and white. But the colouring, they've, they've done a great job on it. I, I mean, I believe, I put this in our notes as well, I believe that what they wanted was to have some fairly slim, dread reprint volumes which were in colour. They could hand 
uh, or you know sell at American conventions. Of course, right, yeah. you know, then of course something came along and we all stopped going to conventions. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, I mean, that was the intention of it. But I mean, the question I posed in our notes to you was: if you had your desert island version. Would it still be the original black and whites um, instead of a coloured version? You know, I thought about. I was thinking about this, and I went back and forth, back and forth. And my my initial response was, I'd have it in black and white. But then I kind of think I would have Blockmania in colour, right? And then the Apocalypse War in black and white, because in many ways, Blockmania is so out there and so crazy. What's going on? That almost having it feel feeling like you're reading almost like in Technicolor, not just colour, but Technicolor, and it's just popping at you. And then to hit you with just the black and white, stark, grim reality of war, because that's what this is, and war on a scale that, you know, we'll hopefully never see in our lifetime. Um, which is another thing I think reading in the 80s, because... I think now you can read it and you can kind of go, wow, this is this is out there. But obviously, we were both reading at a time where certainly, you know, I thought in my neck of the woods that nuclear war wasn't something too far away from reality. Um, there was a lot of fear of nuclear war in the 80s that seemed very real, didn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. And we had TV um, shows like Threads and, uh, the, you know, The Protect and Survive leaflets had been given out i think um yeah. yeah it was a scary time the green and common pro- protests were going on about you know keeping nuclear weapons on british you know american weapons on british soil yeah it was yeah reading this at the time it was like oh my goodness you know this is <laughs> yeah as you say if our parents perhaps had seen what we were reading they might have um <laughs> had some reservations Okay, so we'll give you the colour block mania and then Carlos's original black and white art for Apocalypse War for six months, um, and then we'll come and get you off the island, uh, Barry. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Now, you've mentioned, you know, there's some standout moments in the two stories. You mentioned Souster's uh, last stand, as it were, or last fall. Um, you mentioned when the story zooms in on some, you know, individual judges and their... Um, their moments. Were there any other moments in either Blockmania or Apocalypse War that really stand out to you as favourites? I think a lot of them we kind of covered. Like I said, Judge Dredd one on one with Orlock. With the Orlock fight, yeah. I kind of, I kind of loved that sequence. I kind of loved all of the stuff with because they were called the Apocalypse Squad, weren't they? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, they certainly they've been called that since that Dread puts the team together, and they've run. There have been comics, you know, um, about the Apocalypse Squad since. Um, that whole sequence and that whole kind of section almost was packaged like as its own story, in its own right. Um, I absolutely loved that because it was a kind of take back to. Because obviously this is a it's, it's a war comic, it's a futuristic war, but it's a war comic. It took me back to those old World War Two films that again I used to watch as a kid, like you know Where Eagles Dare or Guns and Guns and Never Own, especially is what it's kind of reminding me. Where you've got this team, everyone's got their special skill, and you you know it's this impossible mission, and only you guys can pull it off. And yeah, I, I really liked all of that, all of that. I just loved, and I loved a little bit with. But Anderson just rocks up and she's kind of like, yeah, I basically, I've, I've read your mind. I knew what you were going to do. Yeah, <laughs> I knew. <laughs> <Up here. laughs> yeah. Uh, and then when she does get recruited and you see what the plan is, you kind of almost think, why didn't you call? Why wasn't she the first person you called? Because actually she's pretty integral to what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> she'd be the first person on his list usually. Yeah. Um, maybe he just knew. He knew she'd turn up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, obviously they're putting out these essentials, they're putting out some of the big dread stories, they've done America, Uh, I think this is the second volume, by the time this podcast is out, I think the third volume, which is Origins, will be out as well. Um, Obviously, if you talk about some of the greatest dread stories of all time, the Apocalypse War usually gets mentioned. Is it right up there at the top for you, Barry? For me, it is. For me, it is. I mean, I do. I was trying to think, you know, and I really, really, really liked the um, 
the first sort of dark judges when they first get introduced. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I love the Cursed Earth. Um, it's been a long time since I've read the Cursed Earth, to be fair. But whenever anyone mentions the Apocalypse War, I can, I can pick scenes out of my head straight away where I go, I remember this story like it was yesterday. And it is just that sense of scale, I think, more than anything. It's just that sense of scale that you're reading something which is a game changer, which, you certainly, which I, I certainly w- wasn't getting in the comics I was reading back then. Yeah. Um, and I, I would argue that with a lot of comics that I read now, unless they're sort of independent and the stories are sort of self-contained, it, it, they do have a tendency, like your DC and Marvels, to be a kind of rinse and repeat. Oh, we've got this big event, it's going to change everything. But actually, it's going to change everything for six months and then we'll probably change it back. Um, this felt, even when I was reading it as a kid, like things are never going to be the same. Even though we're going to get stories going on, you can't you can't do a story this big with that many people dying and that much destruction and for everything to just go back to be business as normal. Yeah. I remember a few years ago at Thought Bubble when I think Carlos had just not long passed away and I was doing sound bites with people about their favourite Carlos characters or stories and I doorstepped you and you was yeah. you was like, you know, favourite Carlos story, Apocalypse War, Apocalypse War, Apocalypse War, I think was what you said. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's just one of the greats, isn't it? Yeah. And I was lucky enough, um, uh, Dave and I hosted a panel with uh, him and um, John. Oh, John and Carlos panel. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a quite a um, quite a provocative title. We were kind of like, is it time for... I think we called it, is it time for Judge Dredd to take the long walk? It was something like that. Oh, I remember. That was at Birmingham. I went to that panel, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the night before, we kind of, we hung out with them both at the bar and stuff and absolutely loved... Uh, I mean, I love John anyway, but I absolutely loved Carlos because he, he was just a he was just a funny man. Yeah, he was just a funny, nice man, really. And it's that thing of you know, it's always that risk sometimes with, about meeting your heroes and stuff. Um, and it's just it's always nice when that happens, and they kind of live up to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I tell this story often on the podcast, but I I got to buy them both a pint in a pub and sit down with them one time, and it was just wonderful, as you say. They just, you know, the pair of them are just great, and Carlos was just yeah. a lovely man, and uh, so appreciative of the fans, which was really nice, yeah. you know. Um, always had time for everybody, and would sketch his arm off at conventions as well. Um, astonishing work. Mm. Let's turn to the artwork and play the Grail page game for this podcast, Barry, which is where we imagine that we could afford any of the pages from Block Mania or the Apocalypse <laughs> War. Um, and I guess, you know, the answer to this question might be we'd take any page if we could. But if you had your pick yeah. of pages or covers, what would you pick to hang on your wall or the geeks in the, in the geeks in the underground base? Well, I think, Straight away, you know, when I saw the question, the first image that jumped into my head was the Dread Dead cover because I loved it. It's one of my favorite comic covers. However, in terms of actual pages of art, I I think for me, it's probably going to change over the years, but I I think it's just that opening two pages of the Apocalypse War, which is the kind of double spread. Yeah. Oh, yes. um, Which is, I think it's Prog. I think it's Prog 245. But it is literally the the opening sort of two page spread of the Apocalypse War, because it it it, it just kind of um, as I say, it just it just lays the table, lays the table of death, destruction, mayhem, um, and it lays it out beautifully. And I, I would I would love to have that on my wall. It's the movie poster of all movie posters, isn't it? And it lays it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like if they ever did, you know, animated. Uh, stuff animated just dread or whatever which i think actually would work really well animated and animated and you were going to do like a big budget release or whatever that's the poster you'd have yeah in some shape or form you know yeah absolutely yes okay well we will grant you those two pages i might have to bend the rules slightly because i think jim moon might have chosen the same too but anyway not to worry this is a virtual (laughs) game 
But we'll certainly fine. also... Me, me and Jim will be fine. We'll be fine. You can, you can take turns. Uh, and I think it was Robin... I might, I might be wrong, but I think Robin Smith did the Dread Dead cover. But we'll give you that one as well, Barry. So you can have a cover and a double-page spread from the Apocalypse awesome. Wall. Yeah, to hang on your wall, uh, your fiction, a virtual wall. That's fine. I'll just take down my um, my winning picture. <laughs> my wife, my wife won't. She mind. won't mind. No, it won't be a problem with that at all. Fantastic. Well, Judge Dread Essentials: The Apocalypse War is available nineteen ninety nine in paperback or nine ninety nine digitally. Uh, might be out of stock, I think, on the two thousand AD store in hard copy, but you can certainly find it from your local bookshop uh, or bookshop.org. Um, I think copies are still out there, and presumably there will be, if they ever get back to American conventions, there will be copies turning up there. Yeah. I guess maybe in twenty two or twenty three, we hope. Mm. Cool. Thank you so much, Barry. I'm really glad I've managed to get you on, and we got to talk about such a uh, pivotal moment in 2000 AD history, and um, great moments reading it for the young Barry in the eighties, and then rereading it with Block Mania now. I know. I know. It's been, I'm, I'm, thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite all right. Um, yeah, we talked about doing it ages ago. Um, I think when I was trying to remember, because we met up at the Cartoon Museum in its old location in London at the 40th, didn't we, when they had the exhibition? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I said to you then, what book would you pick? And you said, oh, it would be The Apocalypse War. Um, <laughs> We finally got round to it. And we've just met up at varying places over the years. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> and you said, you should come on. I go, I know I should come on. <laughs> well, we finally did it. Well, part of the reason, of course, is if we turn to guest projects, part of the reason is that you're a busy, busy man. Um, let's start with Geek Syndicate, the podcast, or in fact, the, the network of podcasts now. Possibly, are you one of the longest-running comics and geekdom podcasts out there, Barry? Barry? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if, if I mean, obviously, uh, Comic Geek Speak, which are the um, an American comics podcast, they've been going longer than we have because they were our kind of inspiration. And Comic News Insider, they've been going for a while. Hey, Jimmy, um, we started as far as knowing the UK. I, I don't know anyone that was around when we were around in the UK, apart from a couple of podcasts. Um, we started in 2006. So it's 15 years. 15 years uh, next month. Fantastic. Well, happy anniversary for the both of you, to Dave and yourself, for 15 years of uh, podcasting. And you're still doing it, of course. You kept it going. Yeah, we did take a couple of breaks, you know, as life gets in the way, as they say. But um, we always had a bit of an ongoing uh motto dave now we always said that if it stopped when it stopped being fun um we'd stop doing it and a couple of months we we thought maybe it wasn't as fun for us and stuff like that, and we stopped but then what we realized is that was our doing geek syndicate was like the best times for us to kind of catch up and have our conversations that was the whole reason we started geek syndicate in the first place because we'd lost touch as friends so it always kind of you know pulls us back in and, you know, if we go to geeksyndicate.co.uk or follow the link in the show notes for this episode, what will we find there at the moment? What sort of episodes have you got coming out? Well, we've I've just put out um, uh, Stacey and Barry in the morning. That's the morning show I do with uh, Stacey uh, or Stacey Bob. And Dave and I, hopefully, by the time this comes out, maybe we'll have another episode of Geek Syndicate. <laughs> we'll hopefully, we might be recording uh, tomorrow and then there's also Gratio Geeks which is Scott and Steve um, they've just dropped out a new episode just dropped out that sounds wrong <laughs> they've just put out a new episode I think and I think they're I think that's their 60th so they're celebrating 60 episodes oh great so yeah so we've got a few things from the worldwide world of geek so wherever you're listening to this podcast you will of course find Geek Syndicate uh, with Dave Monteith and Barry of course and also, the pair of you got the gig to present or to be part of the presenting team for a BBC series about science fiction back... Was that 2014, I think it was? I think it was, yeah. You did yeah. the fan stories part of the uh, the sort of science fiction season they were running, wasn't it? Yes. How on earth did you get that one? Um, yeah, it was... It's, 
it's a weird set of circumstances. It's one of the things I kind of always say to anyone who asks me about podcasts and asks me about listeners. I kind of always say it's not always the number of listeners you have. It's the it's who's listening. And um, as it turned out, one of the produce one of, we had a BBC producer was list, listened to Geek Syndicate, and we had we had no idea. We'd done some interviews with um, we'd cover some BBC shows back in the day, like Doctor Who and Merlin and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, just, so this BBC producer approached us and said they were doing they were putting together this documentary, and it was going to be this Talking Heads documentary, and they wanted uh, Dave and I to be one of the Talking Talking Heads. So I don't know if you remember the the fact the, the invasion of the fans episode but basically you had sort of peers of fans or talking about their love of sort of sci-fi and originally that's all it was going to be and dave and i were going to be one of those people they would be interviewing but they they brought me down to london they did a little bit of filming um with dave and i just just talking being dave and i really and they showed it to the powers that be and then off the basis of that they decided to rejig the the format and they've made Dave and I presenters. So we were never supposed to be the presenters. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they changed, changed it around and they made us the presenters. So we kind of filmed the first documentary. Um, and then before it came out, they showed it to the commission and editors, whoever they were, was still say powers at B. They really loved it. So they commissioned the second episode before the first episode was aired. Um, and the second episode was the one where we then they sort of we then went around the country following the fit days of fear and wonder season it was called, um, and that's where we got to see sort of 2008, 2008, 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, but with uh, up by Jodrell Bank, and we saw um, we went down to Eden Project to see um, Silent Running, um, and we saw um, Flash Gordon at the British Museum, which was being sort of shown on the massive screen at the British Museum, which is still. To this day, I mean, the whole experience still today is one of my sort of one of the most amazing things I've ever done. But that that Flash Gordon one was, yeah, yeah. And we also got to see the um, it was a documentary on the making of Jerry Anderson stuff, so like Thunderbirds and stuff like that. Oh, lovely! I mean, yeah, so that's that stuff's great. And if am I right, you met Brian Blessed as well? Yes, yes, we yes we did we did meet Brian Blessed. <laughs> fantastic got to interview him and uh um he and he will say gordon's alive won't he yes yes he will when you won't even have to pay him you just have to ask him and he'll just say it um yeah i mean i think dave dave summed up um i was trying to interview brian blessed by saying it was like trying to lasso a hurricane yeah. Okay. Yes. He's a he's a larger than life personality in every way, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just that's just putting it mildly, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was a lovely guy. He was absolutely lovely, and it was it was it was fantastic to meet him. But yeah, he was just he was just so full of life, you know. Astonishing! I love that series. I thought you did a great job, and uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and is it the historian? I think he's Dominic Sandbrook was doing the uh, the main series about the history of science fiction, wasn't yes. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Barry, one other um, arrow in your Hawkeye quiver is that you're a published author and you've got your own author website now, haven't you? Yes, yes, I do. I do have my own wolf website. Finally, I've decided to um, do a website of my own name, uh- <laughs> BarryNugent.com. Uh, again, links in the show notes. You'll see lots of pictures of me doing silly things and holding books and stuff because that's the sort of thing you do on an awful website. And I know you from, you know, I, I've read your Fallen Heroes uh, graphic novels and books, but you've got a new series coming up soon. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of, I mean, it wasn't going to be originally, but it is, it is kind of set in the same world as uh, fallen heroes and forgotten warriors but the main difference is that this book is being aimed at what they call it, it's middle grade fiction so it's being aimed at sort of sort of eight nine to, t- to 12 year olds right and and the book's called uh, trail of the cursed cobras and when when will the first one be out well 
<laughs> Good question. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, I know um, you've been working on it with your editor recently, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I'm hoping, um, I'm saying late autumn. Right. That, that's my, I'm, I'm covering my bases by saying little, because whenever I do a date for any of my books, it ends up then being years. So I'm not going to jinx myself. This right. Time. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident this time. I'm fairly confident that when I say late autumn, I actually mean late autumn. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, putting this one out. This it's probably the most fun I've had um, working on the book. Excellent. Well, I will put as many links as I can in the show notes. I have asked oh, that question you. to authors before, and I, I, I'm starting to recognise the answer. That is, it will be out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It will be out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, w- it will be out. It shall be published yeah. at some stage. Fantastic. Anything else you want to mention or plug here, Barry? I mean, as I say, you're very busy. No, I think that's, I'm, I'm just trying to think. No, I think that's pretty much covering all of my bases. Uh, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, so we have covered Judge Dread Essentials, the Apocalypse War, and uh, the block mania that goes with it, and had a great time. Um, and we've been hearing about your uh, pact agenda um as well and uh dave's all right now he's 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 fully mended yes yep yeah. um doesn't know dave obviously had a um a spell with uh i say spell with um covid he was hospitalized and um yeah he was um yeah it was it was quite a touch and go for a while but he is uh, he's not fully mended but he's he's very much dave again <laughs> good well we send him all our best yeah thanks man Fantastic! Thank you so much for giving up your time, and uh, you know, for us, we finally got round to doing it, Barry. <laughs> I know, finally got there. Yeah, uh, and thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, follow uh, the podcast on the website at megacitybookclub.com where you'll find all the links to Barry's work, uh, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, the 2080 forums, and probably several other social media platforms that I don't know about, but Barry and Dave might have cooked up i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and email me at mcbcpodcast at gmail.com with comments and suggestions and books that you might like to come on the podcast with Uh, and that'll do us until next time when we're passing judgment on another great book uh, it's goodbye from me and from the nuge it's goodbye from me too (laughs) 